Okay, today's reading is Luke chapter 22. Uh, in our chapter for today, Jesus celebrates his final Passover with his disciples as he institutes the Lord's Supper. The disciples still don't fully understand what Jesus has come to do and what his kingdom is all about as they argue about which of them will be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus spends his final hours before his arrest in fervent prayer, and Peter denies Jesus three times just as Jesus foretold that he would. So let's, uh, having read the chapter, let's consider three things that we can glean from it. And the first thing is this, the limits of Satan's power and ability. The limits of Satan's power and his ability. The, the first main event of this chapter is Judas's uh, hatching plot to betray Jesus. The way Luke frames it here is interesting. He says in verse 3, Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He's presented here, as he is elsewhere, as the motivator, Satan is that is, as the motivator behind this evil act of deliver, delivering up and betraying the Son of God. And what strikes me, though, about this is Satan's utter lack of foreknowledge and insight into in this evil act. Sure, perhaps he entered Judas and motivated the act simply for the evil of it, but it also seems that in motivating Judas to betray Jesus uh, to the authorities, uh, who had been for a long time already diligently looking for an opportunity to kill, kill him, did Satan not know that Jesus' death on the cross and subsequent resurrection would mean his own ultimate failure and defeat? I mean, did Satan not know that Jesus had already indicated his intention to go to the cross? and also indicated the saving intentions of his going to the cross. I mean, we saw that in Mark 10, 45, for example. I mean, did Satan not know about the resurrection? Did he merely think that if he helped accomplish the killing of Jesus, that he would win? It seems like there were a lot of things going on here of which Satan was astonishingly ignorant. If he was aware of the death knell that would toll for him through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, don't you think Satan would have done everything in his power to keep Jesus off the cross instead of sending him to it? You know, Satan's not dumb. Again, he may have done it purely for the evil of the act, knowing full well that it would mean his ultimate failure and defeat. But I do believe it helps us to have a realistic understanding of Satan and the limits of his power and ability. He is powerful. He is referred to variously in the New Testament as, for example, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, as the God of this world, little g. Or in Ephesians 2, 2, as the prince of the power of the air. Um, or in 1 Peter 5, 8, as an adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. John goes so far as to say in 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So make no mistake, he is powerful, but he is not the Lord's equal. He is powerful, but he is not omnipotent. That is all-powerful, as is the Lord. He is smart, but he is not omniscient. That is all-knowing, as is the Lord. And the world may temporarily lie under his sway, but he did not speak this world into existence, ex nihilo, that is, out of nothing, as did the Lord. And furthermore, he will have no influence in the new heavens and the new earth that the Lord will bring about in his good time, Revelation 21.1. So Satan is not to be ignored. Again, 1 Peter 5.8 says he, he is uh, prowling around and he can devour. 
But likewise, for the Christian, he is certainly not to be feared. Our God is king. And even when Satan is successfully entering Judas to do his bidding, he is digging his own grave. Second, let's think about the path of obedience. Later in the chapter, we read uh, read a very humbling and uh, difficult section in which the Lord Jesus is in crippling agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. His hours of prayer were so intense that he says, it says in verse 44, he sweat great drops of blood. His human nature cried out honestly and yet resolutely, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, verse 42. The path of obedience for Jesus was difficult. Paul notes that he was obedient to the point of death, Philippians 2.8. What finally led him on the obedient path to the cross? Well, the obvious answer um, that is to be found in this chapter is that it simply was the Father's will. Jesus prayed to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And so it was the Father's will for him to go to the cross. Jesus knew this in in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53.10. Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied, saying of Jesus, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, quote unquote. Jesus quotes the same chapter from Isaiah in verse 37 and actually says that chapter was written about him. So Jesus knew it was the will of the Father for him to go to the cross. So from one vantage point, Sheer obedience to the will of the Father led Jesus on the obedient path to the cross. But there's another motivation found elsewhere in Scripture that is insightful. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus endured the cross because of, quote, the joy that was set before him. Why is this so insightful? Because the Lord in his grace has chosen to reward the obedience of his children. Jesus is our pattern. Joy-filled reward that far outweighed the severity of his sufferings awaited him at the end of his obedient path. The same is true for us. See Romans 8.18, for example. Don't begrudgingly obey the Lord simply for the sake of obedience. Obey in, in, in full knowledge that joy is set before you. Delight in the duty. It, it doesn't mean that obedience will cease to be difficult in all cases. It was still indescribably difficult for Jesus in the garden. He sweat drops of blood. But the joy on the other side is what made obedience still the more desirable path. Finally, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. I want to end with just a, a brief note on Peter's famous denials of Jesus. Jesus predicted that he would deny him, not once or twice, but three times. See verses 31 through 34. Peter didn't want to believe him at the time. I don't, you know, and and we would probably be just like Peter. But Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled that very night, verses 54 through 62. And at this, Peter, it says in verse 62, wept bitterly. And this shows that he wasn't an, an apostate. That is, he wasn't uh, seeking to walk away from Christ. Uh, he sinned and he sinned greatly, but he was a repentant sinner. But it shows us something even more significant about the Lord Jesus. Jesus knew full well that Peter would fail spectacularly 
But even with that knowledge, he graciously decided to use him mightily for his kingdom and his glory. He said that very uh, pointedly in Matthew 16, 18. And when you come to the end of John's gospel, you see Jesus mercifully and tenderly restoring Peter. See that in John 21, verses 15 through 19. He allowed Peter to weep bitterly over his sin, which is the appropriate redeemed response. However, Jesus did not leave Peter in his tears and anguish. He is a merciful Savior indeed. Well, those are just a few thoughts from Luke chapter 22. I hope you are enjoying this journey through the New Testament, and I hope you keep persevering to the very end. We'll see you tomorrow.